Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Jarofsky show. As I speak, it's Thursday, March 17, 2022. Here's the headline in the Chicago Sun-Times. Jailbreak for Jesse. Jesse spends six days of five-month sentence behind bars before judge orders release pending appeal. Just to see what's in the news today. Of course, Jesse-related headlines could be in the news any day, so it really doesn't help you identify this point in time. Uh, Jesse's been dominating the news in Chicago uh, on and off since January of 2019, but we are not, repeat, not here to talk about Jesse's What? I'm just telling you that what's in the headlines today. All right, so all my lefty listeners out there are sick and tired of me talking about Jesse Smollett and what it means. Relax. We're not going to talk about him, okay? Uh, and uh, so you could just listen to our conversation, which will be on other, other matters. And so without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guests to introduce themselves, as I always do in this segment of the Ben Jarofsky Show. I'm going to start with distinguished guests, hmm, whose first initial is L. Introduce yourself. Hi, Ben. It's uh, your friend, Lenny Manaha from Word, uh, Indivisible, Illinois, uh, Andersonville resident. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. Very good. And she's also works for my beloved Chicago reader, dear friend of mine and this show. Uh, and uh, so if anybody says I'm biased, yeah, maybe I am because I love Lenny. All right. Uh, other guest. And, and just and just to be clear, Ben, I, I am on the sales side, on the business side. Of yeah, the reader. The editorial yes. Yes. Of the reader. That is clear. That's very clear. But a lot of times Lenny wears her political activist hat when she calls me and she'll say, Ben, you have to have XYZ on the show. And it's always a great guest, some uh, progressive from somewhere out in outside of Chicago. And it's, I love bringing in those voices from outside of Cook County, from outside of the city itself. Uh, to get a sense of the struggle, the political struggle that's going on in districts that are red districts. So a lot of times Lenny is my bridge to all sorts of great activists, uh, progressive activists who don't live in Chicago. Isn't that something, Chicago? Isn't that something? You're not the only ones. There's people out there uh, in the boonies. Uh-oh, I just got in trouble with all of them. They always laugh when I say boonies. All right, other guest whose first initial is C. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Cassie Cresswell. Um, I'm the director of Illinois Families for Public Schools, um, but today I'm also here in my uh, capacity. I'm a parent rep on the Jones College Prep Local School Council uh, and also the chair. Okay, uh, Cassie. I've known Cassie for quite a while, too. I remember when she was a rookie parent, and that's how old I am. I remember when Cassie was a rookie parent with a kid just breaking in, uh, and uh, there was a whole... Uh, cast of activists uh whose kids were in like first grade i want to say cassie or kindergarten or third grade whatever uh and now when i hear that you're at jones high school i'm like man oh man where did time go time is flying by uh all right so this is a local issue ladies and gentlemen i know i have a lot of national listeners but i'm going to uh use this to sort of illustrate how <laughs> the politics of schools in the city of chicago I used to write about stuff like this uh cassie and lenny all of the freaking time. Don't do it so much anymore. And also, I want to get into the larger issue of parental rights. I'm a big believer in parental rights, but my belief in parental rights has been tested 
by all kinds of parental rights movements over the country led by MAGA. So I'm really wondering, do I really fully 100% believe in parental rights? It's kind of like, hmm, school by school almost. Uh, and I'll tell you about the great crack controversy uh, in Mississippi uh, a little later in the show. That's called a tease. Um, so, Cassie, why don't you do uh, start us off by just explaining to folks what's going on. There's been sort of an insurrection, if you will, my word, not yours, uh, at uh, Jones uh, against the uh, incumbent principal. And uh, so why don't you just sort of summarize uh, what the issues against him are and what uh, the result has been at your school. Go ahead. Yeah, so Chicago has a pretty uh, unique political institution. We don't have an elected school board, um, but we do have something called local school councils. And so uh, they are made up of parents, community members, teachers, um, the principal, a non-teacher staff representative, and also students. Um, And they have been around since the late 80s. uh, And it was an innovation uh, put in place under Harold Washington um, at the time. And it really, uh, it's, you really have power as an elected body uh, at the school level over the budget, um, over the school improvement plan, um, and also uh, to evaluate the principal and also to hire and fire the principal. Um, And so it's, you know, research has shown that's a really valuable tool for school improvement um, and, you know, a a well-trained and well-resourced and empowered LSC can actually really make a concrete difference in improving a school's uh, culture and climate and even educational outcomes. Um, So uh, the Jones College Prep uh, LSC voted uh, now a week ago and a little more um, actually to ask the Chicago Public Schools CEO, which it would be known as a superintendent in a previous era, um, to approve uh, a list of charges uh, against the principal, um, and uh, those are charges for dismissal. Um, so, basically, this was—I mean, it's been a really, really long time coming. Um, this is, you know, something that's really sort of a last resort in an effort to uh, get some accountability for the harm that's been done uh, at Jones College Prep over the years um, and the lack of CPS actually exercising their oversight uh, at the school um, and, uh, you know, on about the, the harm that's being done. Um, and it's something that's a pretty unusual move, like, you know, the Office of Local School Council Relations really gives schools or LSCs no information that they they have this option. Um, it's mentioned very quickly in passing in the LSE LS Resource Guide, and um, you really have to dig into the Illinois School Code to even know that, uh, you know, if it comes down to it, seven members, uh, the adult non-student members of the LSE uh, can vote to essentially initiate dismissal proceedings. Uh, the final decisions are in the hands of the CEO. So, um, yeah, it's really, you know, it's a case of there has been a lot of uh, harm done over the years at Jones, including, you know, very s- serious student harm, and the administration has mishandled it, you know, failed to report it, and uh, that you know, more harm ends up being done then over the long term. Um, Another sort of major issue really intertwined with that is just issues of systemic discrimination and not addressing those. And really, you know, every category of civil rights violations, uh, race, sex, national origin, uh, disability status, uh, there are problems with that at Jones. Um, And parents and students and staff have been bringing this up for years, uh, reporting it, and really things have not, you know, been done. Uh, And uh, the LSC, you know, after much deliberation, it was a seven-hour meeting, uh, voted 8-2 to approve a list of charges uh, related to those things. Um, And really other things too, including, you know, financial practice issues, 
professional practice issues, not fulfilling the duties as an LSC member that a principal has, um, and also really longstanding questions about the principal's residency. Uh, employees of Chicago Public Schools have to be uh, residents of Chicago, uh, and uh, we, we the evidence does not seem to show that the principal ever really established residency in Chicago uh, when he came here in 2008 from Missouri. So, all right, let's, uh, let's before we get into any of the particulars, let's back up the point. One of the many ironies of Chicago, and uh, folks, so pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. Uh, so, we have this law that, uh, as Cassie pointed out, was adopted in the late 80s uh, that is intended. Uh, to bring democracy, small d, uh, to Chicago public schools by giving parents, residents, uh, and teachers a say in how schools are managed so it's no longer an autocratic system top-down. Uh, at the same time, <laughs> there are limits on democracy. So uh, Cassie just pointed out that the vote was 8-2 to two, uh, to recommend to recommend that the superintendent uh, get rid of this principle. Recommend. <laughs> Not too much democracy, Cassie and Lenny, okay, we, you give, we'll take it under consideration, which <laughs> I just love it, man. You're either going to have democracy or you're not going to have democracy in the city of Chicago when it comes to public schools. And there's like, well, you know, we just want to reserve our right not to have democracy, Ben. Uh, so, Cassie, I just have to point that out. Uh, there are limits to what local school councils can do. There's limits to democracy in the city of Chicago. And at the same time, when parents just are so what cynical and jaded and don't participate in the elections. You'll see some leader like Lori Lightfoot or Mayor Daly or Mayor Rom get on TV and go, I don't understand why people just don't participate more. This is really an outrage. We can't even file people to run for local school council reports. You have to admit, Cassie, there is a huge contradiction uh, in the principle of democracy in Chicago and the way it practiced in Chicago. Do you agree with me? Yes, there are many shortcomings of democratic governance in practice in our city. To be fair for principals, um, for contract renewal, uh, so if the, you know, at the end of a principal's contract, that vote of the LSC to renew or not renew is binding. Um, and for hiring, that's also binding. So it's this sort of mid-contract dismissal need that ends up being, you know, it's, you can initiate, but it is not up to you to make the final decision. And the argument that I've heard come back, I've had this, I've been writing the articles about this stuff, Cassie, for generations. And the argument I've always heard coming back, and let's see how you and Lenny handle this argument, is that, uh, yeah, they look, these contracts, what are the contracts, three years, four years, principle, four years. We give them the contract for four years, but then Ben, you get some nutcases on the local school council, get a personal vendetta, they go against the principal, then they're going to remove the principal. You can't have anything. Uh, you can't have any consistency uh, if if you if you give that much power to the local school councils. So once they cut that deal with that principal, they got to ride it out for four years uh, and just uh, be quiet about it. And then they could do something about it. But we just can't trust these parents and these teachers because they may get on a vendetta on a power trip and just go after the principal. Uh, Lenny, if you want to respond to that, or Cassie, if you want to go ahead. I mean, you, you, you said it right there, Ben, you said it's, it's a matter of trust. Like basically what that's saying is that we know better than you. You know, I don't know what's going on locally and I don't know what's going on in your building, but because I have the authority and I have the power to make the final decision, we know better than you. So just relax. It's fine. Just turn in your reports so that we could check the box and file it over here. Um, don't worry about it. Because this person has, you know, however many months or hours or minutes left on their contract and you have to put that out. And in the meantime, you know, people are stepping up and giving reports and personal stories and laying themselves out raw. And, you know, what is the LSC to do with those stories? You know, you, you can't just ignore them, especially when there's been a pattern, you know, patterns. You have to look at the patterns. But I think that what's what's the problem is that. There is this idea that, you know, whoever, who, who is in the school that is going to, who has longevity in the school, right? The people who are hired, you know, and then the people who they hire, okay, but then they're beholden to the person who hired them. Well, you know, parents and students, they come and go, they'll be gone in four years. So let's not worry about them, right? 
So where is the continuity of care there? You know, who is taking care of those who really don't have a voice? Literally, like because they need translation services. And even though we approved those uh, that money to be spent on translation services, they're still not getting them. So yeah, I just feel like somebody is not paying attention. Somebody's not taking seriously this body that has been created. And um, there's no accountability that I see that's a, in, a, in a way that is transparent that I can understand and explain to the next people who come up and step up as a volunteer elected parent representative who should not be a lawyer or should not have to be a lawyer to serve on the local school council. Uh, Cassie, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think the truth is that, you know, evidence shows that actually local school councils are beneficial. Um, and the truth is also that, you know, parents and like, you know, the only people who don't have uh, a direct stake in that building, what's happening there are the community reps, um, which is only two votes on the local school council. And, you know, parents and teachers do not want disruption. Uh, it's the idea that you're going to just go through something like not renewing a principal contract uh, on a personal vendetta, I think, and you're going to convince, you know, 10 other adults on your local school council or the majority, which is like you have to get like seven or whatever to do that. Like that, if, if seven local school council members are like, look, this, we can't do this again, that it, you actually have a lot of information that you have to put together to justify that vote. And it's actually a very serious thing and people do take it very seriously. And so to think that it's just like, you know, a quick popularity contest and then you kick someone to the curb, it's actually a lot more complicated than that. And certainly CPS uh, is not, you know, sufficiently providing uh, LSEs with the resources they need to really be fully empowered. Um, and I think that is actually a deliberate political choice at the top of the, the district, but, uh, you know, ultimately well-informed and, you know, thoughtful LSC members are invested in their school and they are doing the best they can. And that's, you know, the best you can hope for a democratic governance structure. Um, and, you know, we elect a lot of people who do a lot of not so great things, but I don't think people have come up with uh, a system of governance that is, working better than representative democracy. So. Cassie, before I uh, get into particulars about uh, the, uh, him not, the principal not living in, in the city of Chicago, uh, just elaborate a little bit on what you said. You, 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 a, I wrote it down, deliberate choice at the top uh, to deprive LSEs of the support that they need uh, to actually run their schools. Uh, elaborate a bit on that. Um, I mean, like, there you do have to know a fair amount of technical stuff, especially to, you know, really do a thoughtful evaluation of the principal to really understand what a school improvement plan is, to understand the school budget. Uh, and the trainings uh, that CPS provides are inadequate um, and have been for a long time. If you go to the online training module, which I was just told the other night is not even on like up and running right now. Uh, but when I went through some of them, like last summer, there was still information in there. Like the slides, I am pretty sure had been revised in 2018. But in fact, the slides in that in the, the module had stuff from the Barbara Bird Bennett area. And I was like, that was Barbara Bird Bennett's five pillars. I'm pretty sure those pillars crumbled in about what, like 2016 or something. It's just like that shows you the level of care and interest and the LSE reference guide. You know, the current version that's available for everyone is 2018 to 2020. That is not enough. Back when LSEs were formed, there was a lot of grant money uh, that was available to, you know, support LSC candidates running, support their training. And that really dried up, I think, basically in, you know, the Paul Vallis and Arnie Duncan and, you know, school reform era when they were really trying to kill off uh, parent involvement and, you know, little d democratic control of schools. And that has really been to the detriment of LSCs. And you can see it in, you know, the, the tough time they have filling seats, getting people to run. Uh, and, you know, there's 
luckily been a recent change in state law that fixes it so that if you can't make a quorum, you can now still appoint some new members so you can eventually make quorum. But like that has been a perpetual problem at a lot of LSEs around the city uh, that, you know, it's, you don't even have a quorum to meet. You don't have enough parents seated that you can even have a chair. It's really rough. And the district doesn't want parents to be authentically involved in decision-making and they don't want communities authentically involved in decision-making. And, you know, that's part of the urge to privatize schools and, you know, to basically run a sort of Hunger Games portfolio managed school district and, you know, really having people on the ground invested in especially their neighborhood school doesn't fit that narrative. And so, yeah. Uh, Wow, that was quite a riff. Uh, And I just want to point out to folks uh, who uh, uh, may not be from Chicago or don't remember, Barbara Bird Bennett, uh, Cassie alluded to her, was the uh, CEO, that's what we call him in the city of Chicago, because it's supposed to be amalgam between an education leader and a business leader. I'm not making this up, people. This is how we do it in the city of Chicago. The person who runs a public school is supposed to be like a business leader. uh, And uh, like that makes it better. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I am a CEO, uh, just like Ken Griffin. Uh, and uh, so Barbara Burr Bennett was the CEO. Rahm Emanuel, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, was the mayor of the city of Chicago for eight years, uh, spent an exhaustive search. And the best person he figured to find to run the Chicago public schools was a woman named Barbara Burr Bennett, who ended up uh, getting caught up in a scandal, not making this up. You can look it up on the Internet. Uh, and she went to federal prison. Good job, Rahm. Uh, running the public schools. Barbara Bird Bennett, gone but not forgotten, at least by me. All right, uh, let's get into the issue of residency uh, in the city of Chicago. Uh, folks may be a little uh, surprised to realize. Uh, they're not surprised to realize we have residency laws. Pretty much uh, everybody knows about residency laws. If you work for the city, the argument is you should live in the city. Uh, this goes back to the 70s with Richard J. Daly. Uh, but somehow or other, Jones, which is one of the leading schools in the city of Chicago, as you pointed out, uh, it's a magnet school, highly regarded magnet school, downtown Chicago. Uh, somehow or other, their principal uh, votes, as I understand it, uh, in the state of Missouri, the show me state. So I'm really confused uh, how uh, a system that has a residency requirement uh, allows its principal of one of the flagship schools in the system uh, to be a resident of Iowa. Excuse me, Missouri. Sorry, Iowa didn't mean to throw you in there. So please, Cassie or Lenny, either one, I don't care. Help me out with this. How is it that the, this established, well-regarded school has a... <laughs> they, what, they couldn't find someone who lived in, actually like lived in Chicago, voted in Chicago, paid taxes in Chicago? Well, you couldn't find... I know a ton of people who would want that job. Help me out. I don't care who does. Cassie or Lenny, go. Well, well... I mean, Cassie can explain maybe how he found his place in, in that seat. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, I've only been on the LSC since October. And one of the three things that I'm supposed to do is evaluate the principal. And one of the things you look at is his contract. And the contract says that you have to live in Chicago. And so when you lay out all the things that are happening at the school, it just seems like we were putting out fire after fire after fire. You know, and it's and it just goes to show, you know, maybe the fact that he does not even live in Chicago, much less the state of Illinois, has something to do with it. I mean, what does it say about somebody who is governing a body that doesn't even live in the state, you know, or who doesn't who doesn't want to claim because that's a choice, you know, where you register to vote is a choice where you register your driver's license is a choice, right? You know, even if even if they do have an apartment in the city, like, where do you claim home? Like, I'm so proud to be a Chicagoan. I tell everybody I'm from Chicago. I live, work, and play in Chicago. I'll say it every day. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Especially, you know, in a place where so many families, you know, they vie for this place in this national national Blue Ribbon School, you know? in Chicago, you should also be at at the head of this place at the Jones College Prep School, very proud that you're from Chicago and say it out loud, say it out loud. Because if you can't, I don't know what you're doing here. Well, so Cassie, uh, I'm with Lenny on this one. Uh, But 
So I understand you're allowed to have a waiver. Is that correct? So now we're in the uh, uh, area of, of contract law. <laughs> Bring in the lawyers. Uh, we'll get around this. Help me out here. So it's uh, it's legal if you rent an apartment. Go ahead. Right. So if you uh, resided outside the city but were employed before 1996, then those people were grandfathered in. Um, so there are people who have been, you know, teaching in CPS for a very long time and happened to not live in the city of Chicago and they were permitted to, you know, stay uh, that way. There are high needs professions uh, or, you know, specific areas. So special education, I think librarians, science teachers, where, you know, there's enough of a shortage that it's like, okay, if that person you know, lives in Skokie, we really need them. Let's, let's fill that position. Um, those are only temporary still, like every three years you need to renew that. And, you know, if you're not in a high needs profession anymore, you would need to move into uh, the city. Um, once in a while, CPS will hire like a very high flying executive uh, and try to justify them not moving into the city. So back in the era of Tim Cawley under uh, Rahm Emanuel, and I think there was a lot of CEOs, so it may not have been Barbara Bird Bennett then. Um, there was an exception made for him uh, to live in Winnetka for a very long time. And I think he stretched that out for for a while. Uh, but there was a lot of scrutiny and questions about that. Um, I think uh, Forrest Claypool, when he was CEO, had you know a, a chief under him that was a similar situation. Um, but typically those things, you know, you when you're hired, you have six months to move into the city and establish your residency. And the CPS residency policy, you know, it's it's not just about do you have uh, an apartment, do you have a mailing address. Um, it's about what is your one true home, where do you return to, what is your domicile. Um, and it certainly says like you need to look at your your driver's record, your voter registration, you know, your insurance, your taxes, and that whole picture shows what your one true home is. Um, and so from what we can tell, the whole picture seems to indicate that uh, the principal is one true home is in Missouri. Um, and if that is not the case, there's certainly nothing in his contract that has a waiver in it that we have seen. And we have been asking the law department and the office of the inspector general, and they have not been able to even tell us whether there has been a determination ever made on this, even though we know complaints have been you know, filed on this for many years and he's been employed in the district since 2008. So I, I don't know how it is a difficult question for central office to determine have we thought about this before and made a decision previously? So that leads me to believe that there are, there hasn't been a decision made previously and that, you know, we, we urge them to figure that out and our vote, you know, it is actually irremediable conduct. If you're violating the residency policy uh, and the, the CPS board deemed it so. Um, and so, you know, that is something that is grounds for immediate dismissal. Um, and it's a serious issue. And it is a serious performance issue uh, to not be embedded in your community and not be available. Um, if you talk to principals uh, about the idea that you take weeks off during the school year or, you know, you take nine Fridays off in a row, <laughs> The average principal will say, what are you talking about? That is not, that is not a thing uh, as a principal. So we have, you know, major concerns for a whole lot of reasons. And I'll tell you this right now, if it was a student uh, whose family lived in Oak Park uh, and they had a, uh, an apartment, they took an apartment somewhere in a loop uh, and so they could enroll at Jones because they heard it's such a prestigious school, such a great school, or they enrolled in Whitney Young, or they enrolled in Northside Prep, or wherever they enrolled in the city of Chicago. Man, they would have investigators. I'm not making this up, people. They got investigators on the payroll, Chicago Public School. They're going to go follow you home. Where do you go home at night? They build cases against this. Oh, my God. The Chicago Public Schools, sometimes they see because their eyes are wide open. And sometimes they don't see, Cassie, because their eyes are closed. Uh, it's always curious when they choose to open their eyes and close their eyes. Welcome to the Chicago Public Schools, Lenny. Uh, all right. Um, so I'm going to broaden this in a little bit uh, to the larger issue of parental rights 
and the role the parents should have in governing uh, their schools. But at the moment, Cassie, uh, it's sort of a stalemate, as I understand it. The uh, not, I guess stalemate may not be the right word, but uh, the LSC has made its recommendation uh, to the central office and uh, CEO uh, Martinez has ultimately is the one who renders the decision and we're waiting at it. Am I correct in where we are right now on this matter, whether this principal gets to stay? Yes. The CEO basically has 45 days from our vote uh, to make a decision about whether to approve the charges for dismissal um, and then uh, say he does approve them. Then there's various steps after that. So the uh, principal could request a hearing um, and then there's timelines after that. And the Board of Ed actually makes a decision on the hearing uh, outcome. And then you can, in fact, appeal that with judicial review. So things can can drag on quite a while, actually. Uh, but uh, it's a really important sort of milestone uh, is the CEO's decision. Mm. And uh, how when would the contract expire anyway? Uh basically August, uh, 2024. Uh, so yeah, it's still pretty early on in the four year contract period. All right. Uh, Lenny, you said something I'd like to come back to and get Cassie's response to it as well. Uh, you were talking about that, this attitude that, uh, parents come and go. Uh, so maybe they shouldn't be the ones, uh, who make uh, a decision in a school. And let's focus on that a little bit. Parents do come and go. I mean, there's a constant parade of kids. They graduate. They move on. Uh, the uh, The role that a parent plays in a school uh, is really only um, uh, prominent for as long as their kids are in the school. So why, in your humble opinion, should parents be given decision-making authority uh, in schools if they are only temporarily uh, in the school? Go ahead, Lenny. Well, uh, first of all, I want to say that, I mean, I think that most people would agree that schools are the cornerstones of communities, right? And that your experience at the school, I don't know about your experience, personal experience, but I, I have so many great memories of my school days, elementary and high school, and they stay with me for a long time. So I think that the experience that you have at your high school is so important. It's the, it's the groundwork for the rest of your days, really. It's the groundwork for how you see the world and the relationships you have and how you actually define community. In my opinion, I feel that, you know, parents work right now. There's a housing crisis here. Let's just say this. There's a housing crisis right now. And, and people here, even in the, in my neighborhood of Andersonville, are worried about losing their housing and having to move out of the neighborhood because their rents are being jacked up. And, and the solutions are, you know, let's create some affordable housing and put people in this building over here outside of the district. And this is really weird, Ben, you know, how is it that are we, how is it that we are going to take care of each other? So uh, I'm saying that most times meaningful relationships are at the very, you know, granular level. And how are we doing that? And how are we providing that for our children as parents? Um, kids, um, they don't tell parents everything. And when they do, I feel like they should, we should listen to them, especially when they're coming to um, the LSC public meetings and just bearing themselves out. Um, as parent representatives, we have a choice, right? At that point, to either listen to them and do something with that information or do what the status quo says, which is, to, you know, file it away over here and let's make everybody comfortable and let's talk about fun things and let's not talk about the hard things. You know, let's look, Let we have a responsibility as parents, as parent representatives, to look at the whole body of the school. And that doesn't include, that doesn't exclude, um, you know, my kids, my kids are okay, but also what we need to be thinking about are those are, that are on the margins, those who might not have a voice, those who might not want to step forward. I mean, I think that that is, a, that is the power of being a parent representative on an elected 
uh, school board, a uh, school council, like the LSE at Jones. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's true everywhere, Ben, right? I mean, when you're thinking about uh, representative democracy, like who are you representing and who's stepping up and making their voices heard? Um, it matters. It matters because if you, and this is the empowerment of a singular voice, if you don't step up, who is going to? Right. Uh, I'm with you about 99%, uh, particularly in the city of Chicago. Uh, I don't even know if it's 99% anymore, but I do believe that when LSCs fight for more funding for their schools, uh, and I've seen that fight down through the years, I cheer them on. Uh, when LSCs, uh, as your LSC has done, take a stand uh, for the integrity of the school, I cheer you on. Uh, but I've seen more and more. Uh, efforts by parents that I'm not cheering them on. And I'd love to hear uh, either one of you, actually both of you address this. Obviously, there must be moments when you read the the newspapers beyond Chicago. I know Lenny does uh, because we talk politics all the time. And you see what uh, is being done in the name of parental rights on issues like critical race theory. You can't you're putting limits on what teachers can teach in terms of the history of race relations in their country in, in, uh, in Florida, uh, there, there's a pending bill that you're not allowed to say gay. You're not allowed to like, uh, talk about sexual choices to kindergartners or first graders. Uh, there's the, the reference I made, which is so preposterous. I can't believe Cassie that it exists. It's, uh, I talk about it on the show from time to time. There's a children's book, uh, but I think it's, I forget what it's called. Something like looking for a new butt. And, uh, if you've, I don't know if you ever read this book, it's a pretty funny book. And the, the joke is, is that the, the character's butt has a crack in it. So they're looking for a new butt. Okay. Get it. Everybody's smiling. Cause it's pretty funny. Cassie, I'm not making this up. They banned that book in, in Mississippi. Okay. So I'm like, some point, come on, Cassie, at some points. Is it going too far to give parents control? Take it away. Um, so actually, uh, the Lenny and I, the orgs that we run, partnered on an, you know, an issue really closely tied into this earlier this year um, on school board disruption and uh, disinformation, which has been certainly in the news all around the country, but it's actually really been an important issue here in Illinois uh, as well. Although I think in the city of Chicago, you might not have heard about it as much, um, but certainly suburban and beyond suburban school boards have been really impacted uh, by basically, you know, noisy opponents, not just of COVID mitigation, but also of, you know, accurate history talking about, uh, race and racial injustice in uh, the U.S., you know, sharing, or like supporting uh, LGBTQ students uh, and a whole sort of host of cultural issues that, you know, the right has wielded for decades um, in the public school arena. Um, and so, I mean, I think though, you know, for example, on the Jones Local School Council, we have local school councils do have essentially um, like a recommending role on textbooks, and that's explicitly in the school code that the school that the local school council should make recommendations on textbooks. Um, we also have sort of a binding role in that because we actually vote to spend that money uh, when we get a new textbook. Um, and we've been having discussions at Jones about, um, in particular this year, an advanced placement textbook for U.S. history um, that is actually, you know, if you Google it, it is notorious for its inaccurate uh history on race, on slavery, on uh, imperialism, and, you know, just paging through it (laughs) should actually have trigger warnings because some of it is just not, it's, it's not what you should be handing to kids. If you're worried about the fact that you are not enrolling enough black and brown students in your advanced placement history classes, um, because it, you know, it really portrays people of color uh, in just shockingly demeaning ways. It describes, you know, the institution of slavery in 
ridiculously rosy terms that it's, it's really bad. Let's just say that. Like it's bad enough that there was like a CBS expose on it uh, a couple of years ago where the fact that it describes the slave trade as uh, immigrants was highlighted. Um, so there's some major factual issues um, and major tone issues in that book. We've been talking about that and, you know, we've gotten a lot of pushback, in fact, even from some of the teachers of the class. And, you know, it's really, I think it's legitimate for us to bring up these issues. Students have brought up again and again that, you know, they are not uh, getting uh, like culturally responsive not just teaching practices, but also curriculum. Um, and they, you know, there's a reason that we don't have uh, the same enrollment or outcomes in advanced placement classes for white students that we do for students of color at Jones. Uh, and that's a basic thing that we could fix. We have plenty of money in our internal accounts. We could buy a new textbook. Um, and I, I think it's actually a legitimate thing when you have a body of, you know, parents, community, teachers, students, uh, and an administrator to, to make a decision like that. Um, and I think we have to think about parental rights. Like you can't just say that, you know, parents are always right or parents are always wrong. You actually have to look at the merits of the things they want. And like if what parents want is to exclude uh, other children uh, from schools, if parents want to prevent, you know, factual information on science, if parents want whitewashed history of racial injustice in this country, that's not okay. You know, if your desires for uh, what your child should be exposed to in school means that we can't actually share and teach real information. That's not okay. If your desires for uh, your child's freedom in school mean that, you know, we can't have basic public health measures that give everyone the freedom to attend school safely, that is also not okay. So it's not necessarily about, you know, parents have this right or that right. It's about this is a public good. Public schools are a public good. And, you know, we're in the public arena. And so you have to look at a balance of all things. And, you know, schools aren't just a, a little factory to turn out your child in some final form. You know, it's a community and public uh, process. So, yeah, that's it's. Like, yeah, it's too simple to say like, oh, parents should always have the right to do X, Y, Z. That's not really how society works. And these like totally simplistic ideas of what freedom is, you know, that we wave our flag and have no responsibility to other humans, that that isn't actually, <laughs> that's not okay. Uh, and yes. Wow, that was a great riff, Cassie. <laughs> uh, that was really well done. Uh, and 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 let me just say this, folks: you can't see this. I've known Cassie a long time. She's really smart and really thorough. And so she's sending me these messages <laughs> every time I make a mistake. There's a correction coming. And as I get older, I make more and more mistakes, Lenny. But you can—I don't know, Lenny—if you could see these little things. So, for instance. The name of the book. She knew the name of the book, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's <laughs> I Need a New Butt. I urge everybody to go read it. It's hilarious. And Mississippi, come on, get it together. Okay, banning and I Need a New Butt. While you're saying you're for liberty and against cancel culture is pretty low. So thank you, Cassie, for that. And then she pointed out it's yes. Remember when I was talking, I got those investigators that'll look at, if you live in Oak Park and you would send your kids to Jones, they charge you back. You're absolutely correct, Cassie. They they hit you up with a bill. I remember when uh, the former governor of the state of Illinois, a certain Bruce Rauner, uh, was living, I believe it was Winnetka, Cassie, uh, and uh, for some reason he wanted to send one of his kids to Walter Payton, which is uh, a prestigious school on the north side of Chicago. I think he contributed $50,000 to the school funds. It was more? Okay, I don't know. But my memory was, fit. for some reason, I have 50 in my mind. And I'm like, oh, here you go. It's my Bruce Ronner invitation. So rich, just kicked off 50 grand. Everybody looked the other way. <laughs> but yes, if you're just a normal human being and not Bruce Ronner, uh, they charge you for tuition. So, Cassie, thank you very much. 
uh, for these updates on the side. Um, you really know your stuff. I th I think that the point I'm going to make here, based on what you just said, Cassie and Lenny, is this: uh, that democracy is a challenge. And I, and and Lenny and I talk about this all the time, Cassie. We talk about this all the time in terms of like electing Congress people and state reps, and they, you want them to do the right thing. And there's a, another side that disagrees with you, Cassie. You know, and and they're going to fight like hell to defeat you. And, and, uh, oh my God, did she just send me the link to the story? It was, she's unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my God. She's the great Cassie Cresswell. <laughs> uh, but Cassie, the other side, they ain't playing. They are fighting as hard as you are. Lenny knows this because she's been down knocking on doors in, uh, red districts on behalf of not even progressive, just like moderate Dems. In this ongoing fight for democracy in our country, Cassie, you got to fight for it. If you just go down without a struggle, somebody else is going to win. They'll ban, I need a new butt. They'll let the principal stay, even though he lives in Missouri. They'll have this textbook that says slaves were like immigrants coming from Europe. You get what I'm saying, Cassie? It is a struggle. There's no minimizing it. Am I correct on that point? Absolutely. I mean, that is what we are. That's what's happening at Jones College Prep. Um, you know, it's the, the heart of a blue city in a blue state. But the, the truth is, it is it is a, a fight over the power in the school and the, the power structure and the hierarchy. And it's a fight over whose needs matter. It's a fight over when harm is done. Does that harm matter? And who does it matter when harm is done to them? And that, that's what it's about. And we can see that in the pushback that we're getting uh, for, uh, you know, trying to hold the principal accountable, trying to, you know, at least have some accountability for the harm that's done, trying to stop systemic discrimination and violations of civil rights laws that have been on the books for decades. And we are getting pushback from uh, the parents who really don't understand the school as a public institution and who think of it as essentially a private school that they're getting a really great deal on because they just have to pay school fees. Uh, and, you know, this school has been really great for our family and for my children. And you have to say, but is it a, a great school if it's not great for everyone's kid who wa works and walks in the door? The, the selective enrollment system and Chicago is so exclusionary already. And then to have it doubly exclusionary that even once you get to the school, your experience uh, is shaped by, you know, your income, your race, whether your parents are fluent native English speakers, that is not okay. Uh, and, you know, that's really what this fight is about. Uh, and, you know, it's the, the battles that we are seeing elsewhere, you know, maybe written in a sort of different vibe, but it, it really is some of the same fights. Like, do other people's kids matter to you? Very good. Eleni, anything you want to add before we uh, check out for the day? I agree with everything that Cassie said in the way that she said it and in the way that she laid it out. I think that this fight is not just at Jones. It's happening all over our country. You know, the problem of course, we have to say that we are fighting the status quo and the status quo serves a majority white and also white supremacy. This has to be said, and that's the reason why we need to talk about racial equity, um, anti-racism and all of that. We didn't get into so much other stuff that's happening, but Cassie laid it out so well. Um, Public school is for everyone. It can't just be for um, a select a select number of people, and also for the comfort of those people to to not talk about things that matter, including people who are um, on the margins and who and exactly what Cassie was saying are. It's a very exclusionary process already, and when you get into the system then when some harm has happened and you're on the margins and you're doubly victimized um, by having to prove you're victimized, 
this is not right. We can't have that. Um, not in my community. So that's why I'm saying people who feel like um, public schools should be for everybody, they should think about uh, the elections are coming up soon. So look and see who those candidates are who are running in your local LSCs because um, it matters. You know, we could talk about the big concepts all day, but at the end of it all, we need to lead with our values and look to those who are not who are not aligned with us. We can't be talking about critical race theory and not pointing to a person, a representative that needs to be voted out. You know, there are people behind these big words and big concepts. Um, and that's why localism really needs to happen because that's where the conversations are happening. This is not stuff that's happening in another state. You know, this is stuff that's happening right in our own neighborhoods in our own schools. And that's why we need to talk about it. So thank you, Ben, for bringing us on to talk about this in particular. And it does, it does tie into everything that we do if we want to live in a democracy. This is Absolutely. the work. You got to work at it. And I know Cassie uh, has been working at public school stuff for a long, long time. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Wendy Catton. Uh, I met Wendy uh, with Cassie. She was a fighter too. Uh, and I remember, I'm just going to close with this one. I remember Lenny, when I first met Wendy and Cassie and I just thought, oh my God, these, these, these moms are so green. They don't know what they're getting into. <laughs> and you guys have just really, you've just stayed at it, uh, and fought that fight and you're not green anymore. I mean, you know how it works. So thank you, Cassie, for everything you do. Appreciate it. Uh, and thank you, Lenny. All right. Thanks so much for having us, Ben. Thanks, Ben. All right. Very good. That's uh, Cassie and Lenny. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Bye.